I want, um, first of all, to thank everyone who uses the, the prayer diary, and in particular this week, because if you were praying on Friday of this week, then you were praying for the Sunday service and the preachers in particular. Pray for our preachers, pray for all the preaching and all the organising that goes into arranging each service. And at the, the top of that page was a quote from Hebrews chapter 10, which says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. So that is, according to the prayer diary anyway, what we're here for. Uh, We are here to uh, encourage each other, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I hope that's why you've come. I hope that's what you're ready to do as we talk to each other um, this morning. But then look down at verse 10 that has just been read to us. So page 1229 and verse 10 tells us not to receive people and not to welcome them. And I wonder if that is a a surprise, at least at first reading. How can that be part of what it means to live in love and good deeds? How could it be part of what I'm supposed to do this morning to spur you on towards that? And to understand that, we need to understand more of the situation that they are in. So if you look at verse 7, you'll see that he says all this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Um, We've been two weeks in 1 John, and 1 John, if you like, is the, the general letter, the circular, around lots of different churches. But 2 John is the specific application for one church in particular. Verse 1 says it's written to the lady and her children. So that is one church. But just turn back one page into 1 John chapter 2, and we'll see the situation that he is writing into. So verse 18 is very like um, verse 7 in 2 John. Uh, The Antichrist is coming. Uh, which sounds very scary, but even now, before that, many antichrists have come. Um, Who are they? Well, verse 19, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. And verse 22 gives you a feel for the particular presenting issue. It's about what they believed about Jesus, but it has implications for love and for obedience. And then verse 26 gives you the problem that's then addressed in 2 John. So these people, they have left, but they haven't left very far, if I can put it like that. They haven't gone away very far, because I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. So they're trying to get people within the churches that John is writing to, to change their mind and to join them and to come out with them. Um, And then chapter 4, Verse 1, verse 2 tells you how to, well, not believe everybody and instead test them because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And actually, verse 5, verse 6 turns out the word world there is important. And they are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. 
that's the situation we've got in 2 John. And what I plan to do today is quite quickly go through our first two points and then spend the bulk of the time at the end of the letter and have a sort of longer, more applied third point. So turn back to 2 John and uh, look down at verses 1 to 3 and you'll see that the word truth is repeated four times. Everything that he's saying It is because of the truth. And just look at some of the connections to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. His love for them and love of all Christians for them, it is love in the truth. Um, In fact, we have a truth-created love. Because to be a Christian, verse 1, is to be one of those who know the truth. So in context, that is um, what we saw in 1 John chapter 1. Jesus appeared. He entered our world at Christmas, probably without a glitter ball, but uh, still he did. And uh, he is the truth. He's personal, but that doesn't mean he is without solid content. Uh, To trust him doesn't mean you know everything about him or understand everything about him, but it does mean that you take him at his word as a revelation of God. It is to believe in the truth that he brought us. Then verse 2, love is because of the truth. So this is a truth that heals every divide. The churches in the, the first century, they brought together people across every possible divide, brings people together across race and social status and after hatred and after fear. The the most dramatic example that I've ever read about is in the story of Corrie ten Boom. Uh, She was a a concentration camp survivor, and then she began uh, speaking about her experiences. And one day, a guard from Ravensbrück presented himself to her as her brother, because forgiven now in the gospel. Um, And she, um, she talks movingly about it, but she wrestled with it, and then she embraced him. Because in the gospel, we have love. Uh, And verse 2, this is a truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. So this truth is a person, Jesus Christ, who by his spirit is in us. And the spirit is the spirit of truth. And this truth is forever. It's not something we can take or leave because of pressure now. This is actually our connection to eternity. And then verse 3, all of the good things come from this. So grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from his Son is with us in truth and love. So only if Jesus really, truly took on flesh and is God do we have grace and mercy and peace. Only if he really did die in a body for our sins, and rise in a body for our justification, do we have grace and mercy and peace? You you cannot divide truth and love, cannot set them against each other. It is unloving to be untruthful. And in particular, we cannot change the truth just because it seems unloving at the moment. So that is because of the truth. That's where this church came from. And then what they're to do is to walk in obedience, verses 4 to 6. Uh, all of the, the weeks of this series, we've had something about walking. We've called the series In Step, and then the first week was walking with the Father. 
The second week was walking in the light. And now here, verse 6, we have walk in obedience. And actually, there's another one in verse 4, which is walk in the truth. And we've said that um, John's letters, they work in circles, which is um, deeply annoying if you're someone who likes everything sort of to, to work through logically, one and then one and then one. Uh, John disagrees. He goes, he repeats and goes round the circle each time so that you would see the connections each time. He's going, have you got it yet? Have you got it yet? And uh, each week we've looked at these three which are the, the ways that the, the people in those churches can reassure themselves that they genuinely belong to God against what these false prophets are saying to shake their confidence. We know if we keep his commandments. So there is a, a sort of obedience way of knowing. We know because we love each other. If we are loving brothers and sisters, then we know that we are with, with God and we know if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So obedience and love and doctrine, those three working together. And all of those three are here again in verses 4 to 6. And that verse 4 is what gives him great joy. In other words, this is the picture of a healthy church. These three verses, this is what the apostolic founders were looking for in their first century situation of confusion and challenge. The, um, the situation we find ourselves in is not new at all. Uh, Jesus and Paul and Peter and John, they all expect it. They all respond to it in their own teaching and practice. And here he tells us what it is to be a healthy church. And it's to combine all of those three things. So verse 4, it is to walk in the truth, just as commanded. And the command, verse 5, is that we love one another. Otherwise, we're not really children together. If you claim to be a child of God, but you won't practically help the members of the family, then you're not real. And love, verse 4, is to walk in obedience to his commands. So the, the three all combine, truth and love and obedience. And we said last week, we are not left to guess what are the commands of Jesus? He has told us. And I cannot love you unless I obey those commands. And I cannot help you love Jesus unless I call you to obey them too. And, and do that consistently, even when that is difficult, or even when you don't want me to, or even when it might hurt your feelings, or even when it might conflict with the values of the world around us. And again, remember what we had in 1 John chapter 4. Um, the, the world listens to the false prophets, of course. What would be the point of leaving a church to go and, go and be in some sort of, to change the doctrine, unless it won you something out there, unless it made you seem more respectable or more uh, sort of sophisticated or more loving or more in touch with the values of our world. Whereas not just in 1 John 4, but also in John's gospel, uh, we're told Jesus, he was not from here. Uh, Jesus was from outside of this world. And so what he said and what he did was always out of step. And Jesus says, that is why I was hated. 
there was a, a, a radio interview um, actually a couple of years ago with, with um, someone called Ian Paul, who has been one of the more courageous uh, speakers on the issues that are currently facing the Church of England. And he was asked, are you not just out of touch? Um, so the assumption there was that you know the only reason why you would continue to believe the things that are in the Bible would be because of ignorance or prejudice. And he answered, well, well, no, I don't think that's right at all. In fact, um, churches um, like ours, who are thoroughly engaged in their community and in their worlds, actually might be more in touch with the consequences of a, a sexual revolution than the, you know, the radio interviewer in a studio or the editorial writer on a newspaper. Because actually, um, this is where the, the youth group comes. This is where the children come and talk about what it's like at school at the moment. This is where uh, people are heading out into uh, households on estates and where the consequences are being felt. And even here at All Souls, this is where uh, we have a ministry to women who find themselves in the sex trade. And we're not out of touch, but yes, we are out of step. And we are out of step deliberately because we are walking with Jesus, trying to walk in step with him. So on some matters, Jesus, his walk will be entirely in step with the values of our world. And that is largely because our society has been uh, influenced by 2,000 years of the gospel. And and things like um, love your neighbor and in particular take care of the weak and the vulnerable even when they have nothing to contribute and nothing to give you in exchange that all comes out of the christian gospel it wasn't there before and it is in our culture now because of jesus but there will be other areas where we are out of step jesus is out of step with our culture and its values and that is where john is calling us to walk with him and walk out of step with our culture. Okay, third point and the application. So verse 7 is John's situation. There are people who are deceivers who have gone out into the world. And in that context, he says that welcome of them is sharing in their work. So just follow it through how we should respond. Verse 8 First of all, he says, watch out. And watch out, that is not a sign of a a negative, critical, difficult spirit. That is actually a sign of apostolic care and love. To to pay attention to what is taught. Um, Verse 9, actually this is about what is taught tells you what connection that person has to the Father and the Son. This is important. And the image in verse 9 of of running ahead, I think, is a a great image. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. See, if, um, if walking with is the good thing that we're all called to do, well, then running ahead will very easily feel good, won't it? Uh, Not trying to, trying to hurt Jesus, actually trying just to move ahead and go faster. Um, progressive is one of the chosen names for the movement within the Church of England. And we are trying to progress further along the trajectory of Jesus. But the question is, what what kind of progress and with who? 
And what if you end up somewhere where you are blessing something that obedience to Jesus means we must not do and cannot do? So who are you progressing with? Then verse 10 and verse 11 is the the detail. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Now, we need to understand what he is saying in the church context at the time so we can rightly understand how to apply it to us. Otherwise, you're going to think, leave thinking that we're not allowed to say hello to anybody uh, anymore, that to welcome is, is what that means. So the, the situation was, in their day, all churches met in houses. So as far as John is concerned, really, we should be meeting in my sitting room. Um, and I need to tell you, it's not big enough. Uh, it would be It would be deeply uncomfortable. But that's the situation. Do not take them into your house is about who we allow to preach here. It's about who we open up for the church family to hear from. That's why verse 10 is actually all about what teaching they bring. Then the other bit of the situation that we need to understand is that in their world they had lots of full-time but unsalaried preachers. So again, they were full-time but they were unsalaried. So that was normal in, in Greek cities for philosophers and teachers. It's the model that Jesus used with his early disciples. It's the model that the early church adopted in lots of places. And so in that context, if someone comes to your house as a full-time preacher, they are depending on you to feed them and help them. And we'll see this again in 3 John, which is where we'll be next week, and it's slightly clearer there. So 3 John verse 6, please send them these visitors, on their way in a manner that honours God. And in the New Testament, that is the technical term for bed and lodging, plus a a sack full of grain to feed your donkey, which is like the petrol on how you're going to get to the next place, plus a bag full of cash so that you'll be able to eat on your way there. Um, It comes at the end of Romans uh, in chapter 15. It's really the request in the whole book. Uh, Paul wants this treatment so that he can go on and evangelise into Spain. So that then becomes something very important. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. So providing those things to these visiting preachers, it's not just nice, it's not just hospitable, it's actually working together, being involved in the same work. Uh, Christianity is not about sort of special superhero performers who go and do all the important stuff while the rest of us watch. Actually, if you, if you pray, uh, if you use the prayer diary or you pray for this, you are doing the work. It's your work. If you give financially to the work of the gospel, you are doing the work. If you join in and share, if you, you put someone up in your house, you are doing the work. And so to refuse to do it, verse 10 there on the screen, uh, Diotrephes will not welcome us. He even refuses to welcome other believers. That is very, very bad. And it's no surprise that the talk of applying some of the stuff into John into the Church of England situation, it causes huge emotion and reaction. That is appropriate, I think. Uh, unity And cooperation, that is absolutely profound to the Christian faith and the Christian church. And we shouldn't do it rashly or quickly. 
Okay, so back in to John, to take them in and welcome them, that is about formal approval and support in their ministry, and it's about giving other Christians access to their teaching. That's what he's talking about. So just to clear away any misunderstandings, I frequently say hello and welcome people who take the opposite view from me in the Church of England. Um, several of them have become people I care about deeply and know well. Uh, in a different world, I think we would be close, trusted friends. Um, I also welcome them on occasion into my house. Uh, so one bishop, very generously, he travelled to London so that we could work together on producing a document that would lay out really clearly our different points of view and make sure that both groups would recognize in it a good expression of what they thought without misrepresenting. And while he was in my house, you know, a a cup of tea was made. Um, And I'm happy to do that. And I wouldn't actually have had a problem if he'd said, I have to get a really late train, could I spend the night? I wouldn't have had a problem doing that either. But what I won't be able to do is to invite that bishop to preach at all salts. Uh, or I won't be able to recommend his books to you as helpful. I won't be able to give money to him to support the work that he is doing. See, the difference in their world to welcome into your home, that was all about church and about ministry, and it's there we need to look for the applications today. And just look down at verse 11 to see how very serious this is. See, because Christianity is a a working together kind of church, if I work with them, I share in their work. It becomes my work, which uh, verse 7, verse 8, is a work of deceiving and a work of opposing Christ. So each week we've had... um, something sort of obvious about Christianity that maybe we're not allowed to believe anymore or talk about anymore. And here's a third one for this week. Um, Christianity is a boundaried religion. It's a religion with with edges. Uh, And actually that comes out of the other two. We said that Christianity is a revealed religion and Christianity is a a sin religion. I'm going to need to think of another one for next week, so there'll be four. Um, Christianity is a religion with, with boundaries. And it always that has been the case, and always that has needed reasserting in every new situation. So the creeds, they were never meant to be the full list. They're, they're a list of the disputed matters at the time. Same again at the, at the Reformation. Um, so in the Church of England, the, the 39 articles, they're not a list of everything. They're a list of the, the boundaries that were important at the Reformation. In the the recent Church of England debates, people have begun saying, well, of course, unity is in the creed, but taking a strong view on on this um, ethical issue of sexual relationships, that's not in the creed. In other words, saying that we are doing the wrong thing. That is a, a very bad match to these letters from John. The, um, the doctrinal statements that have made it into the creed, like Jesus is the Son of God, they are one part of a tightly linked three that also includes love and also includes obedience to the commands of Jesus. And throughout um, church history, from these letters onwards, there have always been recognized boundaries. 
actually, the moment that you have a revealed religion, you will have edges. There will be things that have been revealed that if you step too far from them, you've stepped outside the boundary. And the moment you have a, a sin religion, obviously it will be important that you can define what sin is and what it is to repent from it and turn from it. And actually that's gone on being true in more recent history. So evangelicalism has always been boundaried. Again, within the debates in the Church of England, there's been a, a move to try and redefine what it is to be an evangelical. And there was even a, an article recently with a, a big picture of John Stott at the top of the article, who was previous rector of this church. But actually, to have a doctrinal basis, that has been an authentic feature of mainstream, moderate evangelicalism since it began. It's actually how you get to be mainstream and moderate. We have a list of things that we all agree we believe on and a list of other things that we don't worry about that are outside that. And those doctrinal bases, they've always had to adjust to a new situation. Things to do with sexuality were not written into those doctrinal bases because nobody would have dreamt of disagreeing about them a hundred years ago. But now we have the disagreement, so they need to be. And it was never about being too important uh, to be or too respected to be asked whether you still believe those things. So there are there are lots of stories about John Stott where um, some terrified 18-year-old is shuffling towards him with the doctrinal basis for their student Christian union. I'm so sorry, and I know I shouldn't have to ask, and I know everyone knows you believe this, but would you mind? I have to get you to sign this. And stories of John Stott saying, these truths are wonderful truths. I love to be asked whether I believe them, and I love to sign to say that I still do. And this um, is then important all over the New Testament because it defines how we work together. So um, we won't be able to go there in detail, but Philippians is a letter about partnership. Within these boundaries, we are one team. And the whole letter is written to tell us how to do that. We share with Paul, even when he's in prison. And we do it by prayer and by sending our money, and we do it by speaking up for him because we are one team. Uh, and we are especially careful about who teaches. So that's the pastoral letters, particularly 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. Uh, there is one from 1 Timothy that I was shown directed to quite recently. And you see it's very similar to 2 John. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, in ordaining ministers, and do not share in the sins of others. So if I send your fellowship group a leader and I know that she or he is going to lead you into sin and deceive you about Jesus, if I know that they are going to harm your link to truth and to love and your walk with Jesus, of course, how can I send them? And if I do send them, of course, I share in the responsibility for that. I share in the sins of others. Partnership is a a wonder and a joy but it is also a responsibility. And then the the last one I put there is from Romans 16. So again, the missionary letter where Paul is raising support. He wants the the place to stay. He wants the sack of grain and the bag of cash. Uh, The rest of Europe is still to go. This is the letter that founds the Western church. 
Watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learnt. Keep away from them. Notice that, that division, he thinks, is caused by those who change the doctrine. Uh, those who want to remain faithful to Jesus, they're not the ones who've caused the division, uh, but they're the ones who have to respond by keeping away from those who have made the change. But they are actually trying to stay with Jesus and his apostles in unity with the, the worldwide church and the church universal through all ages. And to do that, you have to adjust your relationship with those who are changing the doctrine. Okay, so verse 10. Do not take them into your house or welcome them. Um, I need to clarify again, I think, maybe just one more misunderstanding. And that is that at All Souls, we are are not going to get into what is called secondary separation. So we will need to separate from those who are teaching this new teaching uh, and leading people astray. But as we do that, there will be other churches that will do that differently. Uh, some will do more, some will leave the Church of England, some will do less. Um, and um, we will not separate from good, orthodox, Bible-believing Christians who believe the same things as us, but who will make different decisions about what to do when, how soon or how, far, how fast. Those are good people that we will remain united with, who will make different decisions from us because of the situation they're in, or maybe even because of their own personality or their history or the journey that they've been on. There is a, a clear New Testament command that we must respond in some way, but the question of exactly how is difficult. And here at All Souls, um, we have a wonderful church council um, who are entirely united on the principle that we must respond. You, you can give great thanks to God for our church council. And actually, I give great thanks to you for electing them. Uh, they are a wise and godly group of people. Totally agreed on the principle, but there are different views on how much we should do and how fast. And actually, we can be entirely relaxed about that. Because all we need to know what to do is, is the next step. That's all we actually need to know what to do. Uh, we can leave it up to God what is going to happen in the, the medium term and the long term. And um, we just need to know what to do this year and then again the year after. And actually in the long term, we'll find that everybody will have had to take action. Uh, and by then we'll all agree on what we should have done and we'll, we'll, you know, there'll be big hugs about, I can't believe you did that then or you didn't, but we will all be together. So in our situation as All Souls, as a central London large church, um, we have freedom to take some steps, and we also have a, an urgent need to take enough steps. Um, so if you think about how and why people join All Souls, uh, even this morning at the 9.30 and at the 11.30, I've met people who have joined us recently from other parts of the world who've, who've made their home here, who will enrich our working together for the gospel. Actually, um, unless we are clear that we are following the New Testament teaching in our current situation, um, those people will stop coming. Uh, the, the partnership that we enjoy here 
Um, the one that matters most, I suspect, to all of us, the working together in the gospel here, will be harmed if we do not take clear enough steps in regard to what is happening in our denomination. Um, We want to partner and also avoid as Jesus would. And that's an important part in people trusting us. When someone comes to ourselves, it's often because someone has sent them and people don't do that on a, on a whim. You know, it's to be someone that they have spent two years with, uh, witnessing to them in the workplace, or three years with, uh, trying to build them up while they're a student in some other town, or 15 years with as their children's worker or youth worker, preparing them for the time when they come to London, or 25 years with as their parents. Um, and we need to be able to show that we are trustworthy as people send those they love to us. Um, And now in a sort of strange bureaucratic English way, um, we we have the date on which the bishops of the Church of England are planning to step across that line. And it is Wednesday week. Something very British about that, isn't it? The sort of committee minutes uh, announcing the date on which we're planning to crash the car. It's going to be Wednesday week. Um, So in response to that... Um, I'm just going to read you as we close a little bit of what the church council has agreed to do. Now, most of you will have had this, came out as a statement, and it's going to be on our our website um, this week. Following what we said on the 2nd of November, given the introduction of these prayers, All Souls Langham Place is compelled to create a clear public separation from false teaching in the Church of England and to ensure that we obey the biblical mandate to have no partnership with it. So with great sorrow, we are beginning the process of differentiation. So that's the the principle from the letters in Revelation 2 and 3, from 2 John, from Romans 16, from the pastorals. And then as we get to the, the practicalities, the statement recognizes the reality of what we are. We're not actually an independent church, legally or structurally. So the statement says, we're not able to create permanent structural differentiation on our own. While the House of Bishops have committed to providing pastoral reassurance for churches like ours, there is currently no certainty of what that will be. In that context, our plan is to adopt those elements that lie within our gift on a temporary basis while we pursue a permanent form of differentiation that is embedded in the Church of England's legal structures. That's what we'll do for now. Um, we don't know if that will work. Um, God is sovereign. Uh, he can do anything. And we don't know what he plans for the next 10 years. So we're, we're going to try for now to get that sort of permanent structure within the Church of England. Um, but uh, notice it says we are not looking to do this alone. The Church of England Evangelical Council is supporting churches like ours by offering temporary provisions so that at least for now, we can remain a part of the Church of England while permanent structural provision is pursued. So that's the principle of doing this with others in partnership with them, uh, as from 3 John. Specifically, the, the Church Council has decided to pursue two things at this point. Uh, first, alternative spiritual oversight. We will be seeking spiritual support from the CEC's panel of Orthodox bishops. So we'll look for a a bishop who will express our distance from what is happening so we can have this clear public separation. And then second, 
there will be alternative financial arrangements. And again, sometimes we're accused of of using our money politically, but actually the New Testament um, money is right at the heart of partnership. It's how you support a missionary in another country. It's how you are involved in work uh, beyond yourself. Um, But then the statement concludes with saying that this is not the end of our um, conversations with people in the structures of the Church of England. In particular, it's not the end of our speaking to Bishop Sarah. So it says, in addition, we will continue to pursue with Bishop Sarah and the wider Church of England permanent structural provision. And Bishop Sarah has been the most outspoken among all of those supporting these changes. She's been the most outspoken of the need to provide a way for us to express our separation from her. Uh, so that makes me hopeful, but I hope also it makes us prayerful for what's to come. Okay, well, I'm going to um, stop in just a second. We'll sing, and then there'll be a chance to come and talk to me afterwards or to anyone on the PCC. Just let's finish with what is at stake as we look at all of this. This is about love. This is about grace and mercy and peace, which comes in truth and in love. Uh, this is about walking with Jesus walking in obedience with his Father, in the light, in the truth. And it's about a decision that we are better with him than with anybody else. Let me pray, and then we're going to sing, Jesus, I, my cross, have taken. Our Father, we thank you again for the Lord Jesus entering our world at Christmas time, for the light that he brought and the truth, that in the revelation of your Son, Uh, We know what you are like, and we know how you would have us live, uh, and we have forgiveness of all our sin in his love and his grace upon grace. And we ask our Father that you would help us as we seek to remain in step with him and to walk with him, that we would value him more than any other. We ask in his name and for his glory. Amen.